1: location this is a test for the next 60 seconds this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system
2: America here comes the relief from the pain unapologetically this is Lock and low with Bill Brady. 3 This is lock and load and as we do uh you know we we got to have we got to we got to have multiple conversations during the week with writer Dean Weingarten. where are you at in, in the world today Dean
1: I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. All
2: right. Still in Madison, still visiting. Yes, I am. All right. From here where do you go? Dallas. Dallas. Uh, to be young and foot loose and fancy free huh
1: <laughs> <laughs> well once you reach retirement my brother says it's hard to differentiate between six saturdays and a sunday
2: there you go six saturdays and a sunday i, I kind of like that i have to say let's uh, you, you had a so dean published an article on may the 11th uh with uh, about new york New York, the the anti-gun gift that just keeps on giving. Tell me about what you have found about New York and their latest effort to moot things.
1: Yeah, well, back, oh, I think it was in uh, 2020, there was a case that had been working its way through the courts and had reached the Supreme Court, and it looked very much like the Supreme Court was going to rule against uh, New York City, New York State. And the case was a uh, a New York State Rifle and Thistle Association case, but it wasn't the Bruin case. It was the previous case before that in which people were attempting to get permits to carry um, outside the home. And it looked like the Supreme Court was going to rule against New York. And so what the governor did is he went to the legislature, and it was also the city of New York was involved, and they changed the law that was being challenged just a little bit. Just enough, they figured, so that they could claim that the case that was pending in the Supreme Court was no longer valid. That it was, in legal parlance, moot. And they said, uh, well, we, we changed the law. The case is moot. There's no case anymore. Supreme Court should just stop hearing it, and in essence, they would win. And the Supreme Court had a different makeup of that time. At that time, uh, uh, and uh, basically, even though Clarence Thomas, as I recall, now I could be faulty on this, argued and said, "Look, we can't just let them moot things because they change the law a little bit. They're just manipulating us." That's not something we should allow them to do, but the court uh, voted to accept the case as moot, and they didn't hear the case. And there were took two more years in another case of New York Rifle and Pistol Association, that now we know as the famous Bruin case, to clarify how Second Amendment cases should be heard. Now maybe this worked for us in the long run because. The Bruin decision is a very good one, and it's very clear, in my opinion, and very well written. But it shows what I would consider kind of legal shenanigans on the part of New York in an attempt to get around uh, the restrictions of the Constitution and the Second Amendment. So, after Bruin, there were a number of challenges. To New York law, because right after Bruin, uh, the uh, the governor of New York, I think it was uh, Governor Hochul at that time, convened an emergency session, and uh, she said it's so important that we not allow the Second Amendment to go into effect in New York that we change the law. We we uh, if we will no longer require. Uh, special reason for you to have to be able to carry outside the home. We'll just say that most people don't have sufficient moral character. They have to be checked out on social media. It's going to take a long time. And they're, uh, basically we're going to make most of the state into sensitive places where ordinary people are not allowed to carry firearms. And that was challenged, oh, gosh, I there must be say five or six cases ongoing. And several judges uh, issued preliminary injunctions saying, no, this isn't going to fly. This is obviously unconstitutional. It's not going to make it through the courts, and so we're going to issue preliminary injunctions saying the law cannot go into effect. One of those cases is known as Hardaway v. Gorelli. And in that case, there were a couple of things that were being challenged. One of them was, the new york uh, ban on carrying firearms in churches uh another was a claim uh that uh, there was a that uh, all parks were sensitive places where you couldn't carry firearms and in one of the cases they uh challenging the law they said well there's private land inside these parks And you can't just ban the carry of firearms on private land. So, what, that case went to the, it got consolidated with a number of other cases and has been appealed to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. And the Second Circuit Court of Appeals had issued, has issued a stay on the, uh, preliminary injunction. So the preliminary injunction said, You can't enforce the law. It's almost certainly unconstitutional. You're going to lose. And so while the law is being adjudicated, we're going to assume you're going to lose, and we won't allow you to harm people by denying them their Second Amendment rights in the meantime. So it was appealed to the Second Circuit, and the Second Circuit granted a stay uh, well, let see, one of the judges of the Second Circuit granted a stay. saying, no, it's important that this law go into effect. We're going to do away with the uh, preliminary injunctions because we're not so sure that these things are really unconstitutional. And that is what is in play now at the Second Circuit. In the meantime, at least two justices on the Supreme Court, I believe it was uh, Justice Thomas and Alito, issued a, a note saying, look, you know, you guys don't want to wait around on this stuff. We want you to act expeditiously because we're kind of watching it. So it looked as though New York, the New York government, was going to lose this case. Now, to put it in context, the Second Circuit has not been a circuit that is friendly to the Second Amendment. They have been One of the circuits, like the Ninth Circuit, that seem to want to do everything they can to limit the scope of the Second Amendment as much as possible. So now, what has happened in New York State is that the governor and uh, they put it and his allies in the legislature put into their budget bill now budget bills are very hard to stop. So if you can get an amendment put into a budget bill, it's going to go through. And if you're the leadership in a, in a state like New York in the legislature, you can get these amendments put into the budget bill. And they had amendments put into the budget bill.
2: Let me let me get you to hang on right there. Coming up on the uh, coming up on the break and. Uh... Once again, we're going through the things that, that Dean looks at. Dean looks at things with a very jaundiced, very keenly analytical mind. A lot of critical thinking goes into this. And, and that's why we talk about it. That's that's why we talk about the varied items that he brings to the to the forefront. And 2,200-plus of these articles are at com. Just waiting for you right there. You should go take a look. The most prolific writer on the website he is. And, uh, well, thankfully, he, no matter where he goes in the world... He always finds a way to join us on a regular basis, even when he was another hemisphere away. Uh, We'll be right back talking to Dean Weingarten. This is Lock and Load. We are back with Lock and Load, and we are also back with Dean Weingarten talking about New York and everything. I had to interrupt you in, in the midstream, sir. My bad. So if you want to pick it up, I would appreciate it.
1: Sure, no, not a problem at all. We were talking about how the government in New York, the governor and their her, uh, let's see, what be his allies now in the legislature, have uh, inserted into a budget bill some provisions that change the infamous uh, conce- emergency concealed carry act that was passed in 2022 right after the Supreme Court nullified New York concealed carry law saying that you have to be able to you have to allow people to carry outside the home as right. part of the Second Amendment and so New York passed this emergency law saying that uh, most of New York State is are sensitive areas and you can't carry in places like public parks or most uh, streets or most private property or churches uh, etc and this has been challenged by a number of people uh, in several different cases and one of the cases making the way through the courts is hardaway the Negrelli, which is now at the united states court of appeals for the second circuit so what the governor and the legislature did is they changed that law and they said Well, since we changed the law so that someone who is designated as as a security team for a church can carry in a church, Hardaway, who's suing to say the law doesn't allow him to protect his flock in a church, since he's a leader in the church, and since this other person is also a leader in the church, and they can designate themselves as members of the security team, therefore, they're covered by the law. and the lawsuit is moot, and there shouldn't be any more lawsuits uh, challenging our law. Uh, and they also changed a bit of the law about private property that's inside a park, saying, well, if you're on private property inside a park, well, you can carry inside the private property inside the park. I'm not quite sure how you're supposed to get there. Maybe if you unload the firearm and lock it up and wrap armor around it, and then you transported into the private property, maybe something like that. They don't say exactly. But what it's clear to me is what they're doing is trying to change the law exactly the very minimum possible they can to avoid the case getting to the Supreme Court. If this was going directly to the Supreme Court, I would suspect the Supreme Court would say, hey, look, you're not going to pull the same trick on us you did two years ago When you mooted the case that had come all the way to the Supreme Court, you waited for years until this case got to the Supreme Court, and then you changed the law and say, oh, it's moot. No more case. But the case is not at the Supreme Court. The case is at the Second Circuit, Second Circuit Court of Appeals. And the Second Circuit will be the one that will be hearing the arguments of whether or not this change in the law moots the case, that is, renders the case gone, doesn't exist anymore, because the law has changed. And the Second Circuit has not been friendly to the Second Amendment. Therefore, I think it's very likely that the Second Circuit will moot the case. We'll say, oh, yeah, well, this doesn't apply, so these arguments don't apply anymore, so that at least that part of the case doesn't exist anymore, and we're doing away with it. Now, what could happen is those people, those plaintiffs who are part of that case could say, well, we're going to appeal that to the Supreme Court. But what this does is, of course, stretches things out. And what I see as part of what I would call lawfare on the part of those who really don't care much about the Constitution or the rule of law is they want to stretch things out, to delay, delay, delay. The longer they can delay the greater the possibility that something will happen on the Supreme Court to change the rules. I mean, maybe the people uh, will elect Democratic majorities in the House and uh, will get rid of the Joe Manchill and Kirsten Sinema in the Senate so that they can change the makeup of the courts by passing a bill that passed the Supreme Court with That We came very close to that. Uh, a year and a half ago, it was the only people who stopped it were Senators Manchin and Sinema uh, in the Senate. If they had gone along with their Democratic, uh, the other 48 uh, Democratic senators, we could have had a system that packed the court and changed the court uh, so that they could do away with effectively the Second Amendment, among other things. Fortunately, that didn't happen, but it was surprisingly close, way closer than I would call comfortable. So we will see what will happen with this particular tactic by the state of New York to attempt to moot this case that is before the Second Circuit. Uh, Time will tell, but that's what is going on right now.
2: New York, I mean... At some point, I wonder if they will continue to uh, press this losing fight or if they're eventually going to just give in to...
1: It it seems to be part of their DNA. When I uh, was looking, there's an excellent paper out talking about bans on arms, various kinds of arms, not just firearms, um, from early uh, in uh, medieval Europe in England all the way up. 1900 in the United States. right? And it turns out that the states north of New York were part of the, what we call the New England um, grants, uh, British uh, royal grants in the New World for colonies, and they were granted in perpetuity the right to arms. And then south of New York, when you get down into Virginia uh, and uh, states down there, uh, which is about a third of the colonies, uh, they were granted first, they were actually granted before the New England states, rights to arms in perpetuity. And this was about 50 years before the Englishmen, the English Bill of Rights was put into effect. But the middle states, including New York, New Jersey, I think Pennsylvania also, uh, those states were carved out of a conquest of New Netherlands, that uh, the Netherlands had colonies there and those states had not been granted by the crown these rights in perpetuity to arms now we talk about uh, natural rights and the second amendment is part of the natural rights to protect yourself and defend yourself but natural rights theory in 1630 or 1690 when these colonies were formed was just in its infancy So these were rights in the colonies north and south of New York. But New York has a long history of not being as sound and stout about uh, Second Amendment rights and natural rights as the rest of the country.
2: Well, let me get you to hold right there. We're coming up on the next break this article was published May the 11th it is at ameland.com, along with 2200 plus others that Dean has written and uh, th- this is what makes uh, Dean sort of unique in the gunwriting world is just his prolificness we'll be right back this is lock and load Music In the 21st century, the handgun has become the preeminent self defense tool. At CH Precision, we specialize in taking your weapon to the highest degree of functionality possible. With a complete array of goods and services specializing in red dot sight installation, CH Precision will help you realize the most effective handgun the first time. If you need slide milling, installation, or accessories, go to chpws.com. CH Precision. Welcome to the Room Squad. Welcome back. This is Lock and Load. Talking to Dean Weingarten. Where would you like to go now? We, we, we've we covered New York and their shenanigans, their latest shenanigans.
1: Well, well, I've got an article out there that I think is, um, of course, I, if it wasn't interesting, I wouldn't write about it. Right, right. But it's about the North Carolina legislature doing away with the uh, requirement to have a permit in order to purchase a pistol. Right. And, and what happens when that uh, restriction, that infringement on Second Amendment rights went away at the end of March of this year.
2: Let's talk about that because that was it. So what what, what what Dean is referring to is in North Carolina for a very long time. Very long time. If you wanted to buy a gun it didn't matter who you were. Before you bought the gun you had to go see your local sheriff. And then all of that changed. So tell tell us about this.
1: Okay, well, it started back in 1919, and uh, they, it was proposed a bit earlier, I think, in 1907. And in 1919, the law was passed and went into effect. Uh, Woodrow Wilson had just been elected uh, president. as I re- No, he was elected before that, but it was during his presidency. And during the Woodrow Wilson presidency, we had a resurgence of racism in the United States and the Ku Klux Klan— was making a comeback uh, from their ascendancy just after the Civil War. And so in North Carolina, there was this law that passed that said that if you were going to buy a handgun, a pistol, you had to go to the sheriff and get a permit before you could buy that pistol. Now, it's been claimed, and I think there's pretty good evidence, that this was done so the sheriff could say, well, you know, you're not exactly the kind of person I think should have a handgun, so you're not gonna get a handgun permit to buy a handgun. And, and I think it was used very selectively against disfavored minorities such as black people. Right. So, and that law has been in effect since 1919 until 2023. I believe it was March when uh, the le- the legislature passed a repeal of that law and then the governor um, vetoed it and then the legislature overrode the veto and they repealed that law at the end of March, I think it was March 29th of 2023. So what we have is that the law is not in effect for April of 2023. And the reason that this is important is because it gives us a clear uh, view of how many handguns were sold in North Carolina or purchased in North Carolina in April of 2022 and April of 2023. Uh, to legally purchase in a, hand, a handgun in North Carolina, you had to get one of these permits. Now, there are a couple ways you could get them. But either way, you had to go through... Uh, the National Instant Background Check System to buy a handgun. In April of 2022, there were 1,655 handguns sold in North Carolina, and there were 12,435 long guns. You didn't have to have a permit for long guns in North Carolina. So there were roughly eight times as many long guns as handguns. That's in 2022 in April. So we just got the numbers, you know, a couple weeks ago on what handguns and long guns were sold in the system one year later in April of 2023. So we're trying to compare apples and apples, April to April. In April of 2023, after that permit, was repealed, there were 46,040 handguns sold in North Carolina compared to 1,655 the year before. And there were 11,984 long guns sold in North Carolina. So a year before, there had been 12,400. Now there are about almost 12,000. So not a big change in the long guns, but the number of handguns sold increased 2,700%. 27-fold. 27 times as many handguns were sold in North Carolina when that permit system was repealed. Now, I don't know how many handguns are traded around in the gray market, but There's a federal law that says you cannot or you you may not purchase a handgun in another state without going through the NIC system. So in terms of legal purchases, it appears that this permit system had an enormous chilling effect on the exercise of Second Amendment rights. Remember, you have a right to keep That's to own, arms specifically handguns. Uh, The court has ruled, Supreme Court has ruled very clearly that handguns are are protected under the Second Amendment, and you have a right to carry handguns. The Supreme Court recently ruled that in the Bruin decision, and yet this permit was preventing, was chilling the exercise of those rights very, very strongly. And it's obvious when you look at the numbers, it's very hard to say there was any other factor that led to a 27-fold increase in handgun sales in one year, Uh, probably in one month if you compare March to April. Right. So the total number of handguns sold in North Carolina in uh, 2022, was 22,000. That's a fair number, 22,000. But in 2023, in April, more than twice that many were sold in North Carolina in one month. Huge increase. Now, the, the Supreme Court has held that the Second Amendment is not a second-class right. It has the same uh, seriousness and power as other uh, amendments in the Bill of Rights. And the courts have held that if you have a law that shields the exercise of a right enumerated in the Constitution, that law is unconstitutional. And this is a, a case from the First Amendment, called Lamont the Postmaster General in 1965. And there was a postal regulation uh, that required individuals who wanted to receive communist literature had to sign up at the post office. There weren't any penalties uh, for doing this or not doing this. But the court said that that would chill the exercise of First Amendment rights. And so... They struck down that uh, that regulation. It seems very clear that these permits to purchase a pistol chilled Second Amendment rights. I mean, when you have 27 times as many people are uh, buying, well, yeah. and being sold, that's a huge chilling effect.
2: Indeed. Yeah, Hang on for me, if you will. I want to finish this up because this is right across the border. we got our own little picadillos here in South Carolina. This article was uh, printed uh, today. It was p- published today, put up on uh, Ameland, So that means it's probably still on the front page. Now, of course, you should read that because uh, this is very educational as to what goes on. But if you click on Dean's name, then it's going to take you down to his archive. And that's... Oh my, that's a very deep rabbit hole to go down indeed, and you should go check that out at AMOLAND.com because he has 2,200 plus other articles that are still just as uh, you know they mean just as much today as they did when they were printed. So, we'll be right back. This is Lock and Load. Time on the firing line and this is luck and Lope talking to Dean Weingarten. and uh, we were just talking about what just has happened in North Carolina uh, within this within this year March 29th I think it was and uh, I had to I had to interrupt you once again in midstream if you would be so kind
1: I will finish that up and then we'll go on um, so we find that the Supreme Court has said has ruled that you can't have a law that chills the exercise of fundamental constitutional rights it's very clear that the uh, North Carolina requirement to get a pistol permit in order to buy a pistol chills the exercise of Second Amendment rights. Now, those who want a disarmed society, they claim that if you have fewer firearms, you'll have fewer um, murders, fewer, fewer illegitimate violence will happen. But that's not a proven claim. They act as if that is, obvious and clear. But it's not. What we see is that if you reduce the number of firearms, particularly legitimate firearms, it has no effect on homicides or suicides. It just doesn't have, if it, if it, it may have an effect, but the effect is very small.
2: Well, I mean, now, isn't it like 84% of all violent crime occurs without a gun?
1: Correct. Most violent crime does not involve guns. So I thought it was interesting to get how the, uh, the strategy of the other side with this claim. And uh, Rebecca Peters is a name some people might recognize. She headed up the successful George Soros-funded drive in Australia to put into place draconian gun control laws. I mean, the gun control laws in Australia are extremely strict. And it, it had some unintended, I think, consequences. For example, it's harder to get a permit to own a slingshot in Australia than it is to own a 22 rifle or a shotgun, which is just bizarre. But what they did is they, they just copied all of the the strictest firearms laws they could find all over the world, and I think the slingshot got included almost by accident. But they did pass it, and she went on to become the director of the International Action Network on Small Arms, IAMSA, it's called. And she published an article in a UN, United Nations, publication about the strict strategy that they should do with Uh, that they should follow involving citizen-owned arms. And I'm going to read a little bit of it here. It says, while most countries permit civilian ownership of small arms, they are at the same time seeking to contain it to moderate levels. Uh, Driven by regional and international agreements, popular pressure and expert advice, gun laws around the world are growing tighter and more uniform. The emerging norms include integrated renewable licensing and registration of firearms and owners based on proof of a legitimate reason for possession, limits on types and numbers of weapons a civilian can possess, minimum age limits, checks of criminal record and other personal information, safe storage requirements. As the new laws reduce the proportion of the population legally entitled to buy or possess arms, as well as the number each licensee can own, the flow of new weapons into the country will slow. So you see the strategy. The strategy is to decrease the number of arms in the country by making them subject to government approval and to making, uh, reducing the numbers of owners, legal owners of guns anyway, by making ownership requirements tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. But all this is based on the idea that more guns equals more trouble. But it just isn't true. It's just a false assumption. And, of course, what we see is that most illegitimate violence involving guns or anything happens in places where guns are tightly controlled. Brazil has very tight gun ownership rules. They were... They were loosened a little bit under uh, Jane Bolsonaro, the past president of of Brazil, and uh, the number of uh, privately owned, legitimately owned guns went up, and the crime rate fell enormously. Now that they've elected uh, another communist as president of Brazil, they're trying to reduce the number of legitimately owned guns. But in any case, the number of legitimately owned guns in Brazil is a tiny percentage of those in the United States. It's uh, in the neighborhood of 5% or less of what it is in the United States. And yet that's plenty of guns to fuel a uh, level of homicide that's uh, four or five times as great as the level of homicide in the United States. It's kind of like if you look at it, the number of guns that are used illegitimately are relatively small. It's like taking filling up a bucket. Say so you, you have the number of guns uh, used in illegitimate violence that fills up a one-gallon bucket, we'll just say, or whatever unit you want to use. It doesn't really matter if you fill that bucket from an ocean, like in the United States, or from a small pond, like in Brazil. The number is small enough. It doesn't matter. You have plenty of them for illegitimate violence. And, of course, That can be fulfilled by people making their own guns, as they commonly do in Brazil. And you have small shops and black market manufacturers uh, that make their own guns in Brazil. And you have diversion from military and civilian sources and smuggling and all that. But it just doesn't take that many. So this whole idea that by reducing the number of guns, you somehow reduce... Illegitimate violence is just not true. The number of guns has virtually no relevance when it comes to the number of illicit homicides, murders, or suicides in a nation. It just is irrelevant. It does not matter. Now, I think it matters to individuals and that if you have individuals who carry guns for their own protection, they often stop violence. And it may reduce the level of illegitimate homicide a small amount. John Locke thinks that it could be in the neighborhood of four or five percent, but it's difficult to see that statistically. So, as a scientist, I have to say the numbers are that if it is an effect, it's relatively small, and it really doesn't matter that much Um, in the overall statistics. All that much, all that much. But what does matter in the United States is that it's written into our fundamental law, the Constitution of the United States. And in order to push hard for a reduction in criminal uh, violence or even in suicide, which seems silly to me, uh, the people on the other side are attempting to rewrite the contract of the Constitution. Now, these numbers that I've been talking about are... are domestic in the sense that they're internal. They don't talk about how an armed population acts as a check on the power of the government. I think that is a real effect and a serious effect and something that is the reason why we in the United States still have the freedoms we do. The Second Amendment in effect backs up all the other amendments in the Bill of Rights. And one of the purposes of pushing to ignore the Second Amendment is to say the Constitution doesn't matter and the government gets to do whatever it wants.
2: Well, let me hold you up right there. We're about to run out of time, and I don't want to have to interrupt the story in midstream any more than I already have. Um, you going to be with me later this week? I sure hope to. I hope you are, too. So this article, by the way, uh, this was published today. It is available at AmmoLand. It will be printed all over the place, <laughs> as all of the, a lot of Dean's articles are. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And so Dean is very ubiquitous. It's very easy to find Mr. Weingarten. Thank you for joining me today.
1: It's always a pleasure.
2: Yes, sir. As for me, we'll be back in about uh, 21 hours. 21 hours from now. And between now and then, it is vitally important that you remember one very easy-to-remember tenet. It is not, and it has not, and it is never going to be about gun control. has nothing whatsoever to do with gun control. This all has to do with complete control. They, they would love to repeal the Second Amendment if they could, had half a chance, and they would do it. So, carry that concealed weapon everywhere you can. And I'll be talking to you tomorrow. This has been Lock and Load.
0: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $129 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $249 a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon.